episode of We Talk Comics. I am the Crown Prince of Charisma, Mo, joined by the Chief Defender of the Faith and the King of the Casters, Mr. Brett Podcast. And with us, as always, of course, the man with no nickname, Chris. And we have a, a very special guest with us today. Uh, we're very, very happy uh, to have this gentleman on. But as is our tradition here, we get the guest to kind of introduce himself uh, to the audience by telling everybody who he is and why he's awesome. Me? Yeah. <laughs> you are the guest. <laughs> you are who you are and why you're awesome because everybody is. Gosh. Well, my name is Jeff Gomez. I'm the CEO of Starlight Runner Entertainment. Um, and uh, I'm awesome because I get to do uh, many, many uh, things that I love and that I have loved since I was a little kid. I'm involved in movies, comic books, video games, uh, traveling around the world, uh, talking and teaching, and, and just uh, being involved in some of the greatest uh, story worlds and mythologies uh, anybody could imagine. So that's awesome to me. If it's awesome to you, all the better. It is awesome, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so why don't we start out then by uh, going into Starlight Runner and what and what and what transmedia really is? Sure. Um, uh, ever since I was a kid, I, I loved um, stories. I, I immersed myself in stories. The only problem with stories were that they were too short. <laughs> and life was too tough. So I wanted to surround myself with um, uh, uh, as much story as possible. Um, so instead of uh, Bugs Bunny and, uh, uh, you know, these uh, Saturday morning cartoons, I, um, I, I, I got involved in um, kind of epic storytelling, like mythology and Japanese anime and... and, and uh, movies that had like millions of sequels like planet of the apes and godzilla and, and, and things like that and um and really um uh, uh what what happened was I, I i started to learn about what properties were necessary to tell big epic stories and um and in the in the 1990s um uh, I, I started to realize that the internet was going to change things very dramatically. Uh, it would allow for us to participate in story in some weird kind of way. Um, and um, uh, I, I started to get the idea that, um, that if we build our story worlds so that they operate in different ways across different media platforms, then fans could be kind of surrounded by story play with the story world and um, and bond with one another about the story world. And, and this became transmedia storytelling, the creation of, of multi-platform franchises that were consistent and told stories across multiple media platforms. And that was kind of the business plan for my company, Starlight Runner Entertainment. I'm pretty fascinated by this, even though... Uh... We have you on largely to talk about the, your your time at Valiant, but I'm fascinated by this because when I hear this uh, concepts, it's not something that even though your company's worked with you know major corporations like Microsoft and Disney, it's not it doesn't have to be limited to these corporations. Anybody at a ground root level can in some way do this transmedia storytelling, can't they? Well, what's wonderful about this particular conversation is we're going to talk about 
um, the, the very first times that I did that. Um, uh, those were with uh, a Valiant and, uh, and Acclaim uh, Comics properties. Even, um, even to some degree, I think, uh, if you were to look back in the history, a lot of successful companies were doing this and didn't even know they were doing it necessarily. And, you know, within their technology, like I look at Marvel and the way they engaged their fan base in the early days in the 60s, you know, when they first had their characters. And could that be a, a form of this transmedia storytelling even even in, within its era? It, it, was a, it was certainly deeply inspirational to me. Um, it... it, it um, it, it almost was in terms of how we define transmedia uh, today. Um, today, when, when uh, Starlight Runner works on a property like Avatar or Pirates of the Caribbean or uh, Transformers or Spider-Man, we, we make sure that every part of the story, Halo uh, for Microsoft, um, every part of the story is canonical, is a part of a kind of persistent universe that uh, if you assemble all these parts, um, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, creates an uber continuity uh, uh, to it. Um, uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, Marvel had that on one media platform across its comic books. Um, uh, the, the TV shows and uh, uh, content in other media were not kind of uh, an organic a part of a, a, a single continuity. So while the franchise was kind of multi-platform uh, Marvel, um, it, it wasn't exactly what we think of as transmedia the way that it's uh, working today, the way that Star Wars is uh, today, where Rebels is a part of the same continuity, the animated series, as um, Rogue One, which is in the same continuity as the novels and the comic books and so forth. Yeah, and especially yeah. with Star Wars, uh, sorry, Chris, they they really, you know, because they had so many items before that then they wound up making non-canon so that they could kind of, you know, push forward with the, you know, to kind of clear everything up, I guess. They did, and that disappointed some fans. Um, uh, for me, it was a boon. It was a good thing because... Uh, George Lucas um, ignored the extended uh, Star Wars universe and and never really uh, bothered with it and always stated that it was not real, so to speak, real in quotes. Um, whereas Kathleen Kennedy is saying, oh, no, uh, a, a Darth Vader comic book uh, takes place within the same canonical universe as the movies. That's kind of cool to me. That makes it worth going out and getting that comic book because it's it's official. It's telling uh, a little tiny piece of this giant epic story. Now I can understand how that works with something with a can with a canon like Star Wars or uh, Men in Black, but uh, how does that work with something like, say, Pepperidge, Pe Pepperidge Farms? <laughs> Yes, uh, Star, uh, Starlight Runner has um, uh, a, a number of brand clients, and um, and when you uh, when you examine kind of the secret sauce of transmedia storytelling, uh, what what that really is is that uh, the producers of transmedia content have a fundamental understanding of the storytelling behind. Uh, the, the, the corporation, the brand, the entertainment property, 
the socio-political message. There, are, there's a, a, a set of ground rules, a, a kind of story bible um, uh, that uh, tells you what the fundamental mythology of this product is. So when you look at a a uh, Pepperidge Farm goldfish cracker, <laughs> the um, that cracker has a story. Um, uh, there was a woman um, who who created those goldfish crackers, and she had an epic uh, story. She she invented those crackers um, at a time when women were were not big corporate leaders, um, uh, and um, and she struggled to to get that that product out to market and then to control a company that grew very rapidly um, and and yet she needed to maintain the integrity of, of her product and, and so forth. Um, uh, uh, the, that product um, originally appealed to, to a large cross-section of people but when we were called in to deal with Pepperidge Farm Goldfish, Goldfish were only really a product that um, little babies uh, enjoyed. <laughs> so they want <laughs> and you, okay, um, but Big but baby. they want us to expand the audience back out, um, and uh, in order to do that, we we delved into the history and the essence of of why that product was made, and then um, and then pointed out to go to Pepperidge Farm, you know, they're appropriate for these markets, and here's why, you know. So a story began to be built. And ultimately, they were able to use that story to change their marketing and and to start attracting different market uh, segments. And uh, and now Goldfish is is back out there. It's like the number two cracker in the world. <laughs> um, so uh, it was successful. It's interesting that it's it's almost like um, you know it's almost fan service to a degree, isn't it? It, it, it? That you make them feel like they're part of the team. The, the audience and then they're um, they're invested across multiple platforms because they feel like they're they're part of the product because they can see a consistent storyline and and feel like it's playing service to the effort they put in to follow the story or follow the characters. I don't think that that necessarily um, uh, compromises uh, the brand. In fact, it reinforces it. Uh, it's a lesson. I frankly, personally, I I, I felt that Warner Brothers. Uh, should have taken uh, for its um, uh, DC extended universe. Um, the the, um, the 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 Zack Snyder films um, uh, approached these major brands, these these iconic uh, uh, products, so to speak, um, from the perspective of the deconstruct deconstruction period of of those brands. Uh, in the 1980s. So he started telling a story by skipping the, the parts that everyone knew and understood and could relate to <laughs> and focused on the darkest uh, uh, points of, of those stories and, um, and therefore didn't quite hook uh, 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 the, the mass audience, the global audience, the way that Warner Brothers wanted to. Um, he, he kind of missed the brand essence by going straight to the deconstruction of the brand essence of Batman and Superman, and um, and disenchanted um, uh, this this global audience, and 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 uh, that's where I felt that franchise stumbled. 
Um, uh, so what transmedia storytelling does when it's working at its best is it hooks into that original um, pure uh, essence of the brand and makes sure it's infused into all these extensions and iterations of the franchise um, uh, to, to get people excited. Then you can start messing with it uh, later. <laughs> you know, I, I have never heard the psychology of what happened with that universe uh, explained better to me. That that really broke it down in a very simple, quick way. That's, that's, <laughs> and, and you know what? In, in saying that, I mean, I, I think you're perfectly... I mean, obviously, I, I, I agree personally, but also, I, I mean, I know that there's going to be some people that are going to hear that and, and wildly disagree with you right away, including likely one former host of ours. So, <laughs> which is which is kind of the, you know, one of the interesting things about about what you're talking about is, is, is I mean, it's almost like you see, here's the right way to do it, let's do it, but isn't there more than one right way? Well, yeah, you know, hey, I, I'm I'm roughly Zack Snyder's age, so so I know what what he tapped into and what he was trying to do, and and I'm actually kind of amused by it. <laughs> you know, it's it can be really cool when he do, when he's at his best, um, uh, but um, uh, when it comes to something like um, uh, these iconic characters, Spider-Man and 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 Batman and Superman. You, you have to sublimate yourself in service of, of these mythic uh, characters. You have, to, you have to do what's best by them uh, um, in order to allow for them to persist and become transmedia. It, it is later, um, once, you've, once you've established yourself, that you can really start to noodle and, um, and, and express yourself in, in different kind of artistic ways. You, you can't do that, though, when there's a generation of people who don't remember um, uh, the Richard Donner Superman and, and so forth and wouldn't watch those movies. You know, uh, we're, we're babies all over again. You have to reintroduce those things to us, as uh, Kevin Feige did with the Marvel Cinematic Universe before you start noodling. Now, do you think your perception of transmedia grew out of comic books? Because that is, it, it's always been a concept within the comic book world. You have to have Thor act the same way in his comic book as, as well as in the Avengers. Or, well, comic geeks get upset. And um, <laughs> that's just I, the way it is. Yeah, you break the pre-internet. <laughs> I am... Um... I, I, that that certainly helps to galvanize um, uh, that consideration, that thought for me. Um, uh, the um, it, it so happens that my exposure um, uh, in terms of pop culture first, before uh, comics really took hold in my life and in my conscience, uh, was uh, uh, Japanese uh, pop culture, where where those. Um, where, where that uh, uh, sensibility um, rose out of po post-World War II Japan when, uh, when creators were not only revered and respected, even comic creators, they were also allowed to go across different media to different companies and supervise the creation of content based on their comic book characters. So... 
it, it wasn't just that you had a manga artist who who uh, created the comic. He was then shipped off to Toyei, uh, where uh, studios where he supervised the creation of the TV series, um, and he then went to Bandai Toys and supervised the creation of the toy line, um, uh, and then he went to Toho and made the movie. So, so um, uh, that pure essence, that sensibility, remained consistent because of the reverence to the uh, to the creator and the allowance for him to do that. That's really my primary uh, source of inspiration for transmedia storytelling and for uh, respecting continuity and uh, and consistency across different media. Like I said, I find that, okay, Chris, uh, we want to move on to Valiant Comics, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I I mean, this, like I said, I think this is fascinating, but we better better move Mm -hmm. on to it. So, uh, Brett. Well, I was going to say, as a bridge, like you had mentioned earlier that that Valiant was one of the, was really the first place that you were able to use the concept of transmedia. So why don't you explain uh, those? Well, um, uh, maybe... um, uh, my introduction to Valiant and how I wound up there uh, will will uh, kind of um, spearhead the. Uh, to be honest with you, that's naturally where I assumed he was going to ask about, and instead sure, he went no, with this I'm, other. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, good job, Brett. Yeah, I have job. an organized mind. I can help. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, having this uh, this interest in, um, in in fantasy and science fiction and so forth got me into gaming. Um, and so I, um, I, I uh, wrote about games in the 1980s and began to uh, develop games and write actual um, uh, tabletop adventure games in the late 1980s. Um, and um, uh, eventually the freelance life was, was not so much fun, so um, I, I, I needed a job and learned that um, uh, Valiant... Um, had uh, potentially an entry-level uh, position because there were some staff changes going on at the company. <laughs> um, <laughs> it turned out that, that those staff changes, this was in uh, uh, maybe uh, 1991 or so, uh, forgive the, my, my fuzzy dates, um, it was uh, Jim Shooter had just left. Um, so, so I walked through the door and was hired by uh, Bob Layton and Kevin Van Hook, um, uh, the editor-in-chief and the executive editor, mere weeks after um, uh, Jim Shooter left. So that, that true original golden age of Valiant, I was just arriving um, as, as, uh, as that crew, Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Jim Shooter. Um, a, a number of those uh, original guys um, were leaving. Okay. Uh, and uh, Chris, just so you know, uh, Kevin Van Hook is the one who wrote all those ninjacks you didn't like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's not He's a, a fan of the character. Ninja. I can't go. Uh, I can't get on board. <laughs> he doesn't like purple ninja. So, but it's okay because the because you know the Acclaim series um, wasn't purple. He doesn't like that either. But uh... <laughs> now, a word about Van Hook. The, it, what was what was interesting was um, I was on a, a kind of down cycle when I joined with Valiant. So uh, my 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 position there was assistant to the editorial coordinator, 
which basically meant dude who throws out garbage <laughs> <laughs> and photocopies artwork. Um, uh, I was broke. So um, uh, the uh, uh, Bloodshot number one um, uh, had come out, uh, and each uh, staff member got an issue of Bloodshot Gold. Um, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, the gold yeah. with the chromium covers. Um, so uh, I overheard the, um, uh, the interns uh, uh, indicate that this was worth a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so n not having my loyalties 100% sealed at that point, <laughs> I took my bloodshot gold <laughs> and went to Jim Hanley's universe and sold it for uh, 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Groceries paid for um, <laughs> during my first week while waiting for my first uh, paycheck. <laughs> Actually, I guess I, now that I think about it, Michael Moretti, is that the name? He's the one Mark. who actually wrote most of the Ninjak, didn't he? Not, he did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was more bloodshot. Yeah. More yeah. bloodshot. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It's been, uh, we're, we're working off memory, too. And uh, <laughs> we don't know if the notes nearby that you do. but let's. So you get there, mm -hmm. as you say, um, very early on. Uh, so what are those early transitions like? Uh, Bob Layton, is, as I suppose, um, and Jim Shooter came in, I mean, he had a Bible of a storyline. You know, I mean, these, what, for the people who are not familiar with Valiant, let's put it this way. Um, the comic books literally were taking place right after each other, even, even within different series. So, you know, like a, a Bloodshot would end and the next series, you know, would... Harbinger. Harbinger, yeah, would be timeline-wise, time-stamped, immediately following so everything was it was nobody had ever done anything like this i mean he well, left well, I, I guess was bob layton was he forced to just kind of did you think uh you know sure pay, forced um, to pick up the pieces and, and what did you see happening one of the that was one of the things i did find remarkable about early valiant comics um these were superheroes who uh, purportedly lived just outside your window um a, a play on um uh, the uh, Jim Shooter New Universe from uh, uh, Marvel Comics. Um, he wanted to, to do that again and, and make it successful uh, this time. And boy, were they. Um, uh, these, these comics were super successful. They were deeply interlocked. So the continuity, uh, they, it wasn't exactly that one comic came out chronologically exactly after the, 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 the last comic, a different title, but it was, sure was close. And um, and fans loved that. They loved the interconnectedness of the stories, and yet the the the, the various titles functioned independently, um, uh, fairly well. Um, they told a fairly coherent uh, uh, story. So I admired that about um, uh, the comic books. Um, there there was a, a problem <laughs> that I that I uh, detected very quickly. Um, in, in my first weeks uh, there, and that was that um, uh, in the years, in the one or two years before I got there, those comic books were being written by um, experienced um, uh, comic book writers who had been in the business for quite a while, um, uh, and they were being supervised by Jim Shooter, who had uh, had editorial experience for many years. Um, uh, so they were they were disciplined. They were they were well written, well constructed comic books. The um, uh, 
the, the comic books that were being written when I got there were largely being written by the people who were left there after those professional uh, people left with, with uh, Shooter and Barry Windsor Smith and, and so forth. The editors, the editors, the young editors of the comic books were writing each other's comic books. Um, and these were kids. These were dudes in their 20s um, who were um, uh, kind of surfing the huge success that Valiant was experiencing. So their comic books were selling sometimes in the hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, but I was reading them. I was, you know, I was uh, already 29, 30 years old uh, by then. And, and I know a good comic book when I read it. There, there was a... Um, it was, they weren't as good, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so the quality level, from my perspective, was dipping. And Bob Layton, who was an art-driven uh, comic book editor, uh, and, of course, he was a, a great a comic book artist, he didn't necessarily have the story experience to, to kind of hammer these guys uh, to, um, uh, to keep that quality up. And, and even if he did... They were kids, you know, they were young. Um, uh, so I started to, um, uh, to, to become a little concerned. No, and, and that's interesting because I was going to ask about the idea. It always seemed to me, like, as, as we were reading through all of them, it always seemed to me like you would go, like, three to six months, and then there'd be, like, a shift, and, like, the editor would suddenly become the writer and then there would be like a just a total shift in staff and so you know is that did that allow a lot of people to just kind of rise through the ranks really quickly and was there like stages of just massive turnover super fast um I, i'd never seen anything like it frankly um where where somebody who um uh, you know, um, submitted a, a book over the transom can suddenly become a, a steady writer on a major title or, or and an, a dude who was an assistant editor uh, for a year or so suddenly becomes uh, the editor of the book and then starts writing the book. So the books get swapped between the editors um, uh, uh, so that you're not editing your own writing. Um, uh, but that it's all kind of jumping around. Uh, on top of all that, there was a, um, uh, a, a, a desire to please Bob as the editor-in-chief, and he was a tough master. He, um, he adhered to Jim Shooter's rules, uh, both in terms of the continuity and in terms of, of the storytelling, largely. Um, uh, so the, the tendency was to want to repeat what was successful, um, so you got spider aliens over and over and over again, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's, it's, I guess the question that I have is like, was there, was it because the company was making money that it just seemed like, well, if we spend less on writers and, and editors and, and artists and stuff like that, we're still making money so it doesn't matter because, or, or was there a desire to bring in, you know, top level talent and try to, and try to infuse it, but there, or maybe there wasn't enough money for that. You know, I, I, I to a degree, I want to credit um, uh, uh, the publisher, Steve Misarski, um, uh, who passed away um, uh, in recent years, and Bob, 
for um, uh, and Kevin Van Hook, uh, for that matter, for uh, paying uh, respect to the staff in-house and for giving that staff these incredible opportunities. You know, a lot of people at Valiant were um, uh, minorities. There were there were many women there. There were a lot of uh, Latinos and blacks and, 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 and so forth. I was really kind of uh, cool about that. That was interesting. Um, so they wanted to give them a chance and let them uh, do what they were doing. And initially, in, in the first uh, year or so, the, the numbers were not impacted that negatively. So I was perceiving problems before anybody else was perceiving uh, problems there uh, because I was an outsider who, who had been reading comics for 20 years already. Um, uh, on top of that, my responsibility was also to read the fan mail. So every piece of fan mail that came into the company, I had to open review and recommend for publication in the back of the letters page. Could you believe that there was a time? But I started to see complaints. Um, I, I started to see uh, fans getting tired of the same villains being repeated over and over again. Uh, the plots uh, had gotten a lot slower in terms of their development. And, um, uh, you know, characters uh, were, were starting to do things that the, the readers didn't feel were good enough. I don't know. There was, there was just this kind of malaise that was, uh, that was happening. So you, you started to perceive this. Do you, how do you approach that? I mean, I'm sure in your position it was difficult to say anything. Uh, you know, is there any way that you try to subtly get the point across or how do you approach it? Um, you're, you're right. You know, it, it, it was a, it was quite a tightrope to walk. Um, again, I, 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 most of these guys were younger than me. Um, and, um, and I had, uh, I appreciated and had respect, uh, for the fact that they were kind of in, in, in the spotlight and dealing with, uh, enormous, uh, pressure at the same time. They were not interested in my opinion, <laughs> um, and neither was anybody else for that matter. I was on the lowest rung of of the ladder, and um, and I was from gaming. So what's that? Yeah. Um, uh, so um, I I started to do what I always do, which is document. Um, I, I I would every letter. I would um, uh, write a little uh, a blurb summary of what the letter had to say um, and started to file it under different book titles just for my own uh, uh, purposes. Um, when, to make a long story short, when, when, the, um, when the sales did start to decline, um, I assembled a, um, uh, a report um, a, a serious report that I tried to make as objective as possible. And, um, and I walked into uh, Steve Masarski's office and I, I dropped it on his desk. And I said, look, this is just something that I'm seeing. Um, if I'm out of line, just forget that, that this happened, <laughs> you know. And, um, uh, but if, if there's something of value here, I, I might be able to help because... I study story. I understand what what's going on with story. And um, uh, I heard nothing for two weeks, and then I got called in, 
and and he said that he'd like me to um, uh, to help work with the editors to create a program to improve the storytelling in the comic books. Um, I just need uh, I just need a little uh, staple in time here. Now, was this before they changed the name to Acclaim, or they were they still operating under the Valent moniker? Uh, that's a good point. Um, uh, the uh, acclaim changeover uh, would happen about 18 months after this. So, so this was um, this was post Unity, but pre Birthquake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Birthquake. Or, or or pre Chaos Effect. That was Chaos Effect was was a, a major uh, um, a cross line um, uh, uh, storyline. So there was a, a about eighteen months uh, where um, the the sales were starting to drop off precipitously, um, uh, and um, and the the staff post shooter was really starting to get buffeted, and um, and it, it it was becoming problematic. And, and that's really where um, I began to move very rapidly in the company. So um, within, you know, this period, you must have been there then also for, for Deathmate. And, uh, and what was happening with that whole <laughs> mess? I don't know another way to put it because, because it was, and, and it didn't appear to be that the mess was on your part. Uh, but kind of <laughs> tell me about... Death made from your perspective and uh, both how it came together, what you thought at first, and then as it was going along, um, your your thoughts on this, which uh, again for people who are not familiar, was a, a intercompany crossover between Valiant and Image, as uh, Image's I guess the different universe characters, uh, Liefeld's you know characters and and uh, Eric Larson's characters and the different characters within the the kind of because Image now is so different. That it's difficult for people to to conceive almost, but uh, if you could please go into a little bit into this because uh, <laughs> Deathmates again fascinating. It, it, that was um, that was tough for for Valiant. Um, uh, Valiant functioned when it came to putting comics out on time. Valiant was operated like clockwork. Um, it, it was really intimidating as as someone uh, coming in there to to watch how quickly this this content was put together and yet still be of relative uh, quality. Um, and of course, the exact opposite was was going on at Image at, at the time. And um, and for every week that a Deathmate Image, as opposed to a Deathmate Valiant uh, a comic, every week that an, an Image comic was late, the company was losing money. Uh, because fans lose interest, they're not going to, um, uh, you know, visit the stores frequently, looking for it, and so forth. I remember uh, expressions of deep, deep frustration. Um, now, I walked in uh, when the last uh, uh, issue of of Image Deathmate was still in production, so so I actually missed most of of, of Deathmate. But I was there enough to to um, uh, to know that um, uh, the editors uh, uh, editors from Valiant actually had to fly to Rob Liefeld's house and and sit with him <laughs> <laughs> while he finished that final <laughs> issue. 
um, and and get the get get the whole thing together and hand deliver it back so that it could be uh, uh, brought to the printer. Um, it was really rough. Um, so there was a lot of blood on the ground <laughs> when I walked through the door of, uh, about death mate. But fortunately, I didn't have to deal with it uh, directly myself. Now, you know, you can you can take this or answer this as you'd like, but we talked to Bob Layton and brought it up, and he just basically said, "Oh, Rob was just a kid, you know. He just, you know, he was a kid. He was he had a lot of money, and and he he didn't have any blame towards him. He wasn't, you know, maybe that's uh, now, uh, maybe it wasn't <laughs> then, or maybe other people in the office didn't feel the same way." Uh, is that <laughs> would that be accurate that he was taking it so well in stride? Do, do you know um, it's funny because um, uh, you know I, I I've not worked personally directly with Rob Liefeld, but but I have worked with a lot of people who have, and <laughs> and there is a lot of cursing that goes on. <laughs> Rob Liefeld, but with regard to him as a human being, as a, as a person. You really can't say a, a bad thing about him from from a personality standpoint. Um, uh, it's amazing that he gets this attitude of ah, you know, he's he's sweet, he's innocent, he's a, he's a good guy. He just slacks off sometimes, or or just you, you know, uh, tries to to take a few shortcuts <laughs> and, and so forth, and that's it. So I've got to believe, and Fabian says the same thing. Look, he's he was, you know, he's young and he's Rob Liefeld. You just have to live with it um, if you're going to work with him. And he's a great guy. So you know, um, I, I have to accept that about Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us then? Uh, let, let's go into uh, Birthquake and uh, what was Birthquake and were were the people working in Valiant excited? Did you guys think this was going to work? Um, well, um, here, a, a couple of things about me on the way to Birthquake, which was, um, number one, um, I, I didn't win too many friendships as a result of that report. But I genuinely did my best to help out where I could and, um, uh, and eventually became a, a, a comic book editor. And um, and edited during the chaos effect uh, arc uh, of, of things, and and I was given the future books and told I should reimagine uh, the four thousand one uh, line and 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 try and and introduce Time Walker and 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 so forth, um, and um, and I did my best, but things were getting really stressful, and. Um, and and some of the things that I personally wanted to do with my comics uh, at Valiant, um, uh, B Bob didn't want me to to do them. <laughs> you know, he was he was running by that Jim Shooter uh, playbook, um, but we were up against Spawn. You know, we were up against this this gorgeous new uh, technological process um, where. Where when you opened up those image comics, you would want to run your fingers across the page because the textures and the colors were so vivid, so fantastic. And here we are, little Valiant, operating on six-panel pages with Doc Martin watercolor watercolor dots. You know, um, uh, really kind of old-school stuff. 
um, when when the rest of the world was modernizing. Yeah, wasn't that a purpose uh, a purposeful decision? Uh, I always thought of Valiant as the story comic, and Image as the um, art comic, and everyone else was in between. Um, that that's why I liked a lot of the early Valiants. Dude, I I did too. I did too. But we were losing money. Um, uh, the drop off was dramatic. It, we we it, it had gone from hundreds plural of thousands of copies a month, and we were dropping below a hundred thousand, and 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 our lowest selling book was at seventy thousand at that time, and those image comics were selling like booming, and and Marvel was following on, um, not going all the way with the image kind of approach, but. You know, there was it got a little fancier at Marvel and even DC. Um, so um, Bob would agree with you. <laughs> you know, look, we are the story people, and we're going to maintain this this kind of conservative, traditional approach to superhero comics. Um, but I was becoming genuinely scared for the company by how quickly um, things were falling off. Um, uh, so. The, the, the recommendations I, were make, I was making was, can't we have great stories and use um, more modern art techniques, more, uh, you know, make the comics look fancier and, and, and more exhilarating to, to experience? And the answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> now, now as far as you know, was there pressure from the parent company as well? Because they bought this comic company, from my understanding, to develop video games, okay, to have so properties on on the docket. Now, at, at the time that I'm talking about, which was um, heading toward a, a birthquake, but not quite there, um, uh, a, a claim was um, uh, in the process of negotiating with Valiant. So, so the deal wasn't done. Um, now, now, as a game enthusiast, I followed what was going on extremely closely and, um, and knew that, um, that what Acclaim wanted was wild, dynamic characters that, that were visually uh, uh, stunning because they're a video game company. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they couldn't get Marvel or DC, so they wanted Valiant. Um, so, so again, my thinking was, was from a commercial and business perspective to try and push, uh, uh, the company in, in that direction. Um, uh, but there was strong, uh, resistance, um, uh, once, uh, and, and by the way, uh, pressure did, uh, start coming down on Bob, uh, when Steve Mistarski realized, um, that I was making some, some good points. Now, now, I wasn't making those points to Bob because when I did, he got really irritated with, with me. <laughs> and I had to leave the office. <laughs> um, uh, but I was to, to Steve and to the marketing uh, department where I had a, a really good relationship with those guys. Um, uh, it was never at the expense of story. I loved this, the, 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 the f philosophy of storytelling at, at Valiant. I just thought we needed to, to uh, visually uh, you know, improve the books um, uh, and, and do computer coloring, frankly. 
um, uh, and um, uh, um, the it, it only broke. It only really uh, uh, started to change when Acclaim did acquire um, uh, the comic book company, and um, and started to realize how precipitously sales had fallen. You know, and I think again for the listeners, they have to understand how successful. I mean, uh, this is the only public. They won the Publisher of the Year award for you know a company under five percent, um, and then they won the 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 award for Publisher of the Year for a company with over 5% of the market share. And they're the only company outside of DC or Marvel to, to win this award. And, I mean, this company was extremely successful. So you talk about it going down, and you talk about it being the story uh, company. But but it was a wild time in comics. Again, for people who don't understand, you go into the shops and you're talking about selling 70,000. And now if you sell 7,000, you're a successful book to a degree, you know? And, like, it's, a, it's such a different world. I mean, but even if you're talking about you're competing against Image. You're also competing, if you want to be the story universe, against like a Malibu, who also has, you know, right. uh, innovative coloring uh, going on and, and a lot of veteran writers and, and they're being trying to be the universe that's the story universe as well. And like it's, it's a wild time in the comic book industry. It is. There was a glut and and uh, and we shouldn't pick too much on on Valiant. There were other uh, uh, comic book companies that that were starting to lose sales as well. Mar even Marvel and DC, uh, uh, those numbers were dropping off. It's it's really, uh, uh, to to my recollection, the drop off was was faster uh, with uh, with Valiant, unfortunately. So now, did you did you move then to Acclaim? Uh, before you came back to the comic book uh, world? Well, I, I was at Valiant when it was acquired by Acclaim Entertainment. And um, uh, for, for me, um, uh, that's where that was a period of time that was really um, interesting and, and good for my career. Um, the, the differences I had with, with Bob's uh, uh, philosophy about the comics caused me to want to be... Um, uh, inventive. Um, so, so the first thing uh, that I I started to hint at to the publisher was I'm a video game expert. Uh, you know, I understand games. Um, can I help in some way with this transition so that I can bridge the uh, comic book company and the video game company? And and he said, well, uh, here's something to do. Pick the uh, valiant character who ought to be the um, the first major uh, acclaim video game um, and instead of uh, uh, I, I knew who it should be but instead of, of pointing that out I asked them to furnish me with um, all the documentation behind the new video game console um, uh, so that I can understand what the console can do and pick the character that could take advantage, best advantage of the technology. Because they didn't want to use um, uh, Exo Manowar, who was their, you know, pride and joy. They wanted to use a secondary uh, 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 Valiant character. Um, they, uh, uh, Steve, to his credit, uh, arranged that for me, and I received the documentation and then went to a library to figure out how to write a video game concept document, uh -huh. um, and, and I wrote um, Turok Dinosaur Hunter, um, uh, the Nintendo 64 uh, video game, as a concept document, 
And I, I, I was shocked when a few weeks later, after dropping it on his desk, as I did that previous report, a few weeks later, um, he said, pack your bags, you're, you're going to uh, assist Iguana with the development of the Turok uh, video game. Um, so, uh, again, my uh, position uh, changed completely. I, I came out from under Bob and, and started a new uh, aspect of the company, the, the one that would be helping uh, the video game company to make games, but also to, to, uh, to do special projects. Um, so uh, I was the one who bought Magic the Gathering to uh, uh, Valiant and, uh, and, and eventually acclaimed to um, uh, uh, develop uh, their, their universe as a uh, multi-platform uh, comic book and video game universe. Um, so that's when they were struggling with Birthquake. That, that's when they were um, uh, transitioning all these books away from the uh, editor writers um, to uh, big time writers like Dan Jurgens and uh, artists like Norm Brayfogle and, and Bart Sears was brought on board to do EXO and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Instead of, instead of saying, asking a question, I'll just say again then, Birthquake, go. um uh, i i um i wasn't you know i at that point i was um i was dealing with magic so i I, magic the gathering so i got to be a kind of witness to birthquake and not be in the middle of it and and frankly guys um i i really didn't like it I, i i was not happy um i um i i felt that um so much power was being given to these creators and rivers of money, wow. vast amounts of money, uh, were were being given to them to to relaunch these uh, these comic books, which were not um, uh, uh, very tied into each other from a continuity perspective, and um, and and really kind of turned the characters upside down and inside out. Um, uh, visually, uh, things were all over the place. Um, uh, I was—I I thought the some of the coloring was subpar, um, and um, and it, it it seemed messy uh, to me. And and naturally, that was the response that um, uh, the fans had. And uh, other than Dan Jurgens, I'm trying to think of who else would have been people that got paid extremely well at that time you know, for Birthquake. Well, I mean, uh, Bart, Bart on, Sears, Bart Sears, Sears yeah, I guess, so. yeah. Art Sears, Ron Mars. Ron Mars, Mars, that's right, yes, that's right. Yeah, there there was so much talent uh, brought on. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it, I mean, for us to read it, you know, a few years ago, I mean, it it was difficult because it, it was like one of those where where they almost wanted to come in, do like three issues, and then just taper off their involvement with it and, and just kind of forget about it and let it go back. It was like a great great way to like you know buy a country home and then uh and then go back to doing what you really love some other some other place but uh you know and that's just me you know from when i read it a few years ago um i i was not happy with that um, <laughs> i i felt that um that some of those uh, uh creators were kind of phoning it in um and um and it 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 uh it shortchanged the characters so, coming out of Birthquake, at this point, I guess you then you say you're working more 
Uh, you're working on what was the name of the uh, imprint? Ar Armada or I was on Armada. Yeah, uh, did um, uh, Magic the Gathering for for about two years, um, uh, and uh, it ended with uh, Fabian de Cesar's arrival um, as as editor in chief and. Um, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be too many months after that that I uh, was back uh, on the Acclaim superhero titles. And um, uh, I, I found that I had to kind of, uh, you know, earn Fabian's respect, I guess grudging respect, <laughs> um, uh, in order to, to play a, a role as a kind of keeper of the flame. Uh, you know, I, I felt that the Acclaim books uh, could, could, you know, reshape and reform these characters, um, but that some sort of essence needed to be to remain from the previous universe or previous version uh, of the, uh, uh, the the characters, and to try and and convince uh, everybody that um, that tight continuity and good storytelling should remain a, a hallmark of the um, of the line. Um, <laughs> boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, number one, obviously, uh, Fabian, then you're working underneath him. And uh, I guess now, technically, doesn't he work underneath you? So uh, do you lord that over him, or? Every week. <laughs> <laughs> I would, too. But, you know, I, you talk about there's the essence of these characters, and uh, it comes back in many ways to what we were talking about with the DC Extended Universe, the Cinematic Universe, um, because they took these characters and I'm trying to think of one that wasn't, didn't lose the essence of the character, uh, you know, in V2, um, as, as they kind of reshaped that universe. Um, which again, it didn't happen, I guess. Uh, I mean, mine, mine, <laughs> <laughs> um, bloodshot. Um, uh, I, I thought the Len Kaminsky uh, Sal Valuto Bloodshot, which admittedly oh, yeah. I edited, was awesome, um, yeah. and and uh, and took uh, the Van Hook uh, Don Perlin character and and um, and maximized uh, that character's potential. Uh, Kevin might disagree with me, and and I certainly respect him as as the creator, but I just loved what what that book turned out to be. It was like a motion picture to me. Um, it, 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 it had this um, new kind of verisimilitude. It dealt with um, uh, nanites and, and real um, uh, uh, science-based science fiction, um, and yet, um, uh, uh, you know, maintained the uh, original uh, uh, set of conflicts that were introduced in the original uh, uh, Bloodshot. That's actually and, true. It was it was like bloodshot, but on steroids, you know. Exactly. You know, was really what that. You're right. That that one was probably the the most. It, it was one of the yeah. ones that stood out. Um, like there was some that stood out to me in the in the wrong direction. Like say a Magnus robot fighter, which felt like it kind of went the. the wrong <laughs> way. <laughs> you might agree. Well. <laughs> Look, but, I believe this is the time there was some interesting experiments, like the the noir comics. I think That's, the Grackle was there one was of them. The Grackle, and yeah, the, yeah. Those were gorgeous and and really interesting, and I I appreciate that they allowed that that level of experimentation. And by the way, those were creator owned, yeah. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, Exo Manowar, obviously, you know, massive changes. 
um, by well, I guess that was Wade and Augustine. That was Wade, yeah, and and then Ninjak, of course, had massive changes. Uh, gonna, was a, but at least Ninjak was totally new character. Yeah. Whereas let, let Exo me, had so much that was the same. Let me gossip a little bit about Ninjak. <laughs> um, uh, I um I thought that there ought to be one and only one story of a, a video game that kind of comes to life, and that is the last Starfighter, and 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 <laughs> never should it be done again. Uh, <laughs> so when when Kurt Music came to us with with this concept, uh, I, I just thought it was the corniest shit. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, but I love you, Kurt Music. <laughs> Why are you giving me this? And um, and Fabian said, do what he wants to do. Um, so so I did, um, uh, but I I stayed on on Kurt's back about it and and wanted to to um, ground the the series in in some kind of reality and and so forth and. Um, uh, he he got annoyed with me, <laughs> and he narked. <laughs> and Fabian, by this point, was yelling at me a lot. <laughs> and, and frankly, he had a right to because I was starting to lose interest. Um, you know, I, I was reading the writing on the wall, and uh, and I wanted to get out of there. Um, uh, but I still demanded that the comics be as as wonderful and and beautiful as as humanly possible. I was uh, I was heavy into color uh, as as you're imagining, so I, I wanted my Eternal Warriors uh, a comic just looked great. That was Doug Wheatley. I was working with Alex Malev uh, on before he started on Daredevil. I was bringing in some fresh talent. Robert L. Washington III from Milestone came and finished uh, Ninjak uh, uh, for me. Um, I, I wanted to to make it good, and um, and and sometimes I, I graded against um, some of these kind of superstars who weren't used to getting that level of of impact <laughs> from their editor on a comic book. Um, by the way, uh, a little known uh, uh, story. Is the fact that um, um, uh, I forwarded this notion of um, what we called um, the final solution, um, uh, which uh, was maybe misnamed. But, uh, <laughs> I was I was thinking, but I wasn't going to tell you. Well, I, I, at least you recognize. At least, it, yeah. at least we know what it's what it, where it's going. Yeah. yeah. But it, I think they changed the name ultimately, but it, it didn't happen. Uh, it was going to be the clash between uh, VH1, the the original Valiant universe, and the acclaimed comics universe, and it was it was going to be an opportunity for the entire line to correct itself, to to address a lot of the problems. By that point, Fabian uh, did develop a, a healthy respect for my story sensibility, particularly universe building. And um, and so um, I it was it was partly my idea to bring back older valiant characters that were just better than the ones that we had. <laughs> um, and um, and so this was going to be a battle between the two. But ultimately, it was going to be a merger uh, uh, between the two. It was going to be awesome, a, a real cross line thing. 
um, uh, where all the books dealt with it in very different ways, and yet we, we ultimately would have merged. Oh, now I'm a little pissed because I never got to read that. <laughs> that Master Art was a big, a big, uh, going to be a big character in it. And if you if you go back and read the Master Dark written by Christina Z and myself, mm -hmm. I have yep. a credit in that book. All right. That was the setup for the big uh, uh, battle to come, the, uh, the the giant clash. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, now you were saying uh, you, you were really into color. Then, did you have anything to do with the Shadow Man Garth Ennis book? Because that book looked completely different than everything in the line, as I remember. <laughs> hey, you're 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 a nerd, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they, that's why we keep them around. Um, it, it, look, um, uh, that was that was a great book, the Garth Ennis book. I, I really appreciated it and, and liked what they did um, uh, with it. It was so different from from uh, the Bob Hall Shadow Man um, that that I, I, I frankly, again, this was a brand essence thing. Um, if, if that character had been introduced as a new, totally new character, you would not have been able to tell that he was Shadow Man, <laughs> uh -huh. you know? And the look and so forth, that was really uh, designed by uh, Madeline Robbins, the editor, and she she had um, uh, set up a great relationship with the colorist and, and so forth, and it looked, it looked great. But um, uh, eventually you might uh, realize that Shadow Man was given back to me. The, the numbers on on that book just dropped so low, you know. So I I wanted Shadow Man back. Um, you know, I couldn't I, see uh, Aerosmith interacting with that Shadow Man. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Never happened. So I bought uh, Serge Claremont, who was uh, um, who was Cajun um, and and Creole and and uh, and uh, knew and understood New Orleans and so forth. Uh, um, he was a, a black writer, and and uh, and he revived. Uh, I, I like what he did with uh, my shadow, <laughs> at least There's for a billion and one questions. But the one I got to ask you because uh, this is almost why uh, Fabian hooked us up with you is is this question because I failed to ask Bob Layton this, and, and I hope I get another chance, and it's been bugging me ever since, and that is uh, about Doctor Tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, Doctor Tomorrow. I thought it was a fantastic story, uh, and I, I really appreciated the the way it would play. Oh, wait through. Pardon me. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, I was enjoying it. I, I love the way it paid tribute to the different time periods and the different artists uh, and the different art styles and and uh, the characterization, the concept was very original, and, and I, I thought it was going along great for 10 issues. And I remember reading issue 11 of this 12-issue maxi-series, I guess, or whatever you call it, and thinking, boy, that felt off. Oh, well, I'm sure Bob will fix it in issue 12. And then getting issue 12, opening it up, and seeing a different name, writing it, somebody else, uh, I don't know, what, what was his name again? Hmm. Uh, the man who maybe I think was the editor for the first four issues uh, had to come first back. Eight, I the first that. eight, maybe, yeah, come back and, and written that last one. Uh, Jeff, what happened with Doctor Tomorrow, and um, how difficult was that to write? Doctor Tomorrow was difficult from issue one. <laughs> um, 
Uh, look, um, uh, it, it's it's really interesting, and and I don't want to um, uh, you know knock anyone and and so forth. A lot was going on politically in in the company. Um, uh, the, there was enormous pressure from uh, Acclaim Entertainment, our new bosses, uh, to get the numbers back up, and um, and in the process, um, uh, Bob uh, stepped down, and Fabian uh, became the editor in chief. And uh, but Bob had a contract to write plenty of comic books and and maybe to draw and and so forth and that was great and um, um, the the person they thought uh, could deal with Bob the best from a creative standpoint <laughs> for some reason <laughs> was me <laughs> and and you know I I had affection for for Bob and appreciated uh, his passion he was enormously uh, passionate about these characters um, and he did have a good story sense and so forth in 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 Doctor Tomorrow they didn't just want to do this kind of time travel story they wanted each issue to be an homage to a certain uh, genre a certain um, uh, type of artist um, uh, in comics um, so it was part of my job to go and and actually try to find living artists who were who we were homaging to invite them to draw either the whole book or a pinup or or something like that. So that was quite a wild goose chase. Um, although it was wonderful because I got to talk with um, uh, some some old time comic book guys. It was it was kind of cool, um, but it was it it, it was hard. And then. Um, uh, Bob had uh, an idea by around issue nine or t uh, around issue eight or nine, he started to um, uh, figure out how to um, finish the story. And, um, and his notion of how the story was finished was that Dr. Tomorrow would have to sacrifice himself, uh, which would result in his eradication from the space-time continuum. He would disappear, um, and um, and and I, by that point, remember, I was gone. It, it was being edited by um, uh, Mike Martz, um, uh, who's now at, uh, uh, at a, a, an independent uh, comic company. Um, so so Mike told Bob, "You can't you can't do that." The whole idea for creating Doctor Tomorrow was because we're adding. To the, the line, we we need characters that can be video games and movies and and things like that. And the story is really good, Bob. Uh, don't let them don't let them do this. Don't let them uh, uh, disappear. And um, and Bob said, no, he's gone. He he will be. He will vanish. Um, uh, he won't ever have existed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which was which was the way to me reading it. I thought the story was going. It was, and and he had planted the seeds, and and look, you know, um, uh, he he had that in integrity uh, uh, to it, and um, and at the time, it was a tough decision uh, for me, and um, and here was the reason why I chose to to finish the book the way I did. Um, uh, he first of all, I was operating off of uh, the original outline. So this was one of Bob's endings um, that that I was uh, I was working off of, and number two, um, uh, Mike Marks was a great guy, 
and said that the people who would be working with me on the book was were going to be um, uh, uh, two other uh, Latino artists who had barely had any uh, uh, stuff published, and they were really good. Um, uh, so um, uh, Juan Doe, I don't know if you know that that name yeah. from comics, Anibal Rodriguez and Jeff Gomez were going to be on the cover of that comic book, and and dudes, that's that's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you put it like that, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I took the job um, uh, with with extreme uh, uh, trepidation, but also um, I, I felt that they were going to stick it in somebody's hands, and and um, and that person would not have been respectful to any aspect of what Bob was was doing. It would have just been a job. To me, I wanted to put. Uh, Dr. Tomorrow to bed in, in as proper a way as possible um, and, um, and, and be affectionate to, to Bob Layton to the degree that I could. Um, uh, uh, sadly, he, he hasn't talked to me much over the years. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the only reason. But, uh, but, um, but I know that I cared for Bob and that, that there was a... Um, you know, um, uh, as an artist, uh, you know, he, he created comic books that I'll never forget and, um, uh, and have stayed with me. The Iron Man uh, stuff he did was just amazing um, and, and confessional. And, um, and he's, he, there was that kind of passion. So I don't know. It was, it was my way of, in a weird way, homaging him as, as much as anything else. I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be from all parties just you have a, a book that somebody has you know put i mean from pitch to creation conception over a year of their life into to take it away on the on the last issue from uh, him and no 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 he 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 walked off he walked off okay he, <laughs> he walked but but you know whatever the circumstances yeah they the, have the 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 guy who was spearheading it and and not just it be uh, just a creator. We're talking about the former editor-in-chief who was there at the foundation of the company in the height and uh, and was the, you know, uh, at the time, Jim Shooter's uh, right-hand man when the company launched. Plus, he, like you say, you know, he's the legendary creator and who done some, some you know, the great work at Marvel with Iron Man and Hercules and all these things. Like, the, the idea that, like, all of it is, it's, I can't think of anything else like that that's ever occurred. Uh, yes, to my knowledge. Yes, you can, Jim yeah. Shooter. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. When you put it like that, I guess you're right. You see, yeah. um, uh, guys, I, I, I got to tell you, there, there was um, there was dysfunction at, at Valiant. There, there were problems in its heart, um, I, I have to say. And that made me sad. It made me sad while I was there. And it made me sad afterward. Um, uh, there were, you know, there, there was just a managerial set of difficulties that were enormously difficult to, to surmount. They, they, they hit something lucky um, uh, with the right set of talent at the right time that really resonated. Um, and, and, and once that moment had passed, you're, you're dealing with um, two or three um, enormous efforts backed by millions of dollars to try and recapture something that was lightning in a bottle. 
um, and um, and it was um, you know that that's painful uh, and and a lot of people got hurt including uh, Jim and Bob um, but also a number of artists a number of writers and and some kids kids who were on Knob Row you know who who spent years perfecting Doc Martin watercolor dyes <laughs> and then suddenly had to either learn how to use a computer or leave <laughs> you, you know. But guys, there were also beautiful things about uh, uh, Valiant. It, it, there, there were um, many uh, women, uh, uh, female artists, writers, um, uh, and, and people who worked there. Uh, the diversity was, was more than anything I had ever seen anywhere, uh, in, in just in terms of the, the race mix, the backgrounds, and, and so forth. The chances they gave to young people were out of this world. They were magnificent. And there were moments where Bob himself was would teach those those knob row artists. Uh, and and it was magical sometimes where he would sit there um, being surrounded by uh, a young artists and he would draw. He would he would draw Iron Man. <laughs> he would draw uh, these these characters. And behind him were these windows that looked out over those water towers that you see in every Spider-Man comic because we're in the heart of Manhattan and Chelsea. It, it was really, really uh, uh, quite beautiful. So, and, and by the way, they gave me a chance um, uh, to to do some some weird things. Um, I, I kept talking about this thing called the web. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff was going on on the web um, and and I had all this extra content uh, that was generated from my games and from Magic the Gathering and I said let me let me put this on the web and and Steve Masarski would go well, is it going to cost money and I go no we're going to make an intern do it <laughs> they said, knock yourself out and and the servers at acclaim crashed um, from from uh, so much interest um, telling a story across a comic book a, a, a video game and the web um, uh, had never been done before um, and and I was doing that with Turok and with uh, uh, Magic the Gathering and and that solidified my ideas about transmedia storytelling and how it could be done practically and inexpensively and allowed me to, to leave and, and uh, found Starlight Runner Entertainment. Well, I'm a little sorry for you then that this web thing didn't take off. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have to talk to Al Gore about, uh, about that, you know, get some permissions or? <laughs> I had to do some explaining when the service crashed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's unfortunate because I would love to get back into the Turok video game and you know, because I mean, that was you know a successful thing, and awesome. Yeah, and and you know, and it, it came out after. I love uh, that game to this day, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, you know it comes out. You talk about how that was the property you picked, and they didn't want to use EXO, and meanwhile, EXO comes out just you know the previous year within I think it was August or November, somewhere in that range of '96. It came out with the Iron Man heavy metal came that that wasn't so well received and then you guys came back to to Turok that that uh before Goldeneye you know um you know knocked people's blocks off with with a first person console shooter and and then you know in, in 99 I think you guys had like three games in three months there to near the end you had that Turok game and you had uh, 
our Marines and you had Shadow, Shadow Man. Man. And, yep. You know, like, like there's a lot of successes and a lot there, but I think we might have to do it in a part two because the, there's so much more to talk about there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, if, if it's possible, we'd love to get you back to talk about that. Yeah, there are, you know, there's there's a, there's more intrigue because <laughs> uh, we didn't talk about the gold books and the various variant covers oh, and all that. Man, you know? yeah. uh, uh, there's, um, uh, you know, the the artists we got to work with were were amazing, and um, and the gaming aspect, uh, a lot of stuff was done basically for the first time um, uh, out of uh, Valiant and Acclaim that are well worth uh, talking about. Um, yeah, fan- fantastic. You know, we, you know, when we talked to Bob, that is one thing that that he mentioned is how proud he is of the people he hired, the young artists, and and that he sees them as a, his children. And you know, that was the one thing, the affection he talked to uh, or talked to us about with them, and and seeing many of their careers blossom and and succeed, the Sean Chens and, and these different people, like just. You know, uh, that that's one of the coolest things uh, that we experienced when when we talked to him, for sure. Wouldn't you say, Brad? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, he I mean, he was he was truly a sweet guy to uh, to us. To, to us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he no, didn't have such good things there. to say about Jim, but <laughs> definitely. definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if possible, we'd love to to get you back. But uh, Chris, is there anything else that you want to ask? Uh, no, no. Uh, Valiant had gold covers, but Malibu had ribbit ribbit cut covers. Oh. <laughs> and 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 a bullet. <laughs> and bullet. Yeah. Well, um, then then uh, I tell you what. Well, we will uh, have to set that up. Uh, we had we talk comics have a little uh, tradition for our guests. Uh, uh, now <laughs> it's your opportunity to do a little something we like to call plug your shit. <laughs> great okay well um uh listen the um uh the 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 notion of of kind of defending and protecting the things that we love um in terms of story worlds and so forth that's something that uh, fabian and i continue to do to this day yes i'm his boss but <laughs> yes he walks into the office with Deadpool royalty checks. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he might be richer than me. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, uh, you know, um, uh, we, we get to, to work in these uh, fabulous universes, and I would love for your uh, listeners uh, to come follow me, to, to take a look at what it is that we're doing, because it's participative. It is something that, that if your dreams are to become more deeply involved in the, the things that you love, um, there, there are ways to do that um, uh, with Starlight Runner. So um, uh, come to the uh, Starlight Runner Entertainment uh, Facebook page. You can follow uh, uh, Jeff Gomez on, on Facebook. Um, uh, uh, my Twitter is at Jeff underscore Gomez. And if you really love story and are interested in how story is uh, changing um, and, um, and becoming more participative um, uh, and it's leading to, to these amazing uh, uh, changes, not just in the comic book industry, but around the world, uh, some good and some not so good. Um, uh, come to my blog at blog.collectivejourney.com. Um, uh, the Collective Journey uh, uh, story model 
is uh, is kind of my answer to the hero's journey um, uh, here, uh, narrative cycle. You know that circular um, uh, hero's journey thing that you've seen in every movie and TV show and and book throughout history. Uh, something's happening to it, and it's really interesting and really strange. And I talk about that at blog.collectivejourney.com. That's awesome. I think all that stuff is free, though. Didn't you didn't you write a book? Uh... Uh, about uh, how to write stories for for video games, you get a royalty check off that because somebody could go to Amazon and buy that, shouldn't they? Get a little cash in your pocket and try and catch up with Fabian. <laughs> I, I there's a seminar somewhere that you can pay for and and, and check out. <laughs> um, uh, but um, but look, you know, I, I knowledge abundance is a good thing, and and I I love to teach. So just look up Jeff Gomez. Um, uh, on YouTube, Jeff Gomez Transmedia, Jeff Gomez uh, um, uh, Comics, or, or whatever, and you can learn all about that stuff for free on YouTube. Well, thank you very much, sir. This was awesome. I had a great time. Oh, absolutely. This was yes. Uh, so thank much you fun. very much. Yeah, all of us had just a fantastic time. Hope you did too. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, all the best, Jeff Gomez. Thank you so much. <laughs>